Well, good morning, guys. Uh, this is Matt, and um, I am preaching for you guys this morning on a very weird week to do that. If you guys haven't noticed, we're in a really big divided country right now. Um, community, maybe your family is divided. This is probably one morning where I'm not going to be that funny. And, and I love being funny. I love dad jokes. Um, Father's Day's coming up in a couple weeks, and I'm going to unleash the dad jokes on everybody. But this really isn't a morning where I want to do that. Um, in my 37 years on this earth, I, I'm not sure if I've ever felt more helpless to help the people I love. And, and there's various reasons for that right now. Um, if you guys know me, my wife could tell you this, I'm a fixer by nature. Uh, that's maybe my best quality and my worst. That when, when something's wrong in the house, I'll fix it. Like if YouTube can help, whatever, I'll fix it. Um, if one of my kids, one of my four kids is hurting, I, 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 I tend not to listen to their hurt, but I just want to fix it. Like if a kid's mean to them at school, I want to be the dad that says, what are their names? And then, you know, I want to call up the teacher or find their parents or whatever. Like I'm a fixer by nature. And maybe some of you guys are experiencing the same kind of thing I am, that there's no easy answers to what a lot of our people are struggling with right now. Maybe with what you watching this morning are struggling with. From an early age, I think the thing we struggle with the most, if we're honest with ourselves, are that people make us feel a little bit less than. Maybe it's um, you get, kick, you get uh, picked last in kickball, which that was me. I was the chubby kid that nobody wanted to pick. And then, and then they got through the first, you know, 23 people, and it was me and the sickly little girl, and they picked the little girl almost every time, and I felt less than. Maybe um, it's later on in life, and this is the dreaded words that some of you guys thinking back to junior high and high school don't want to hear about, um, the lunch table, right, the lunch table situation, where if you sit at this table, you're really cool, but if you sit at this table, you're a loser, and, and it's painfully obvious every single lunch period which one you are, and over and over again, you just feel a little bit less than. You, you feel a little bit like, I'm not sure I matter like other people do. And that's kind of what we're dealing with today. And I don't have easy answers. Um, the most easy thing I could do for you is give my opinion. I could sit here for 30 minutes and I could give you my opinion on, well, if this politician did this, or if this activist did this, or if this police officer would just do this. And I could do that for you guys all morning. But all you're going to do is hear what I think. Because we have problems much deeper than what my opinion is going to give you guys. Um, uh, one of my favorite uh, musicians, he's a rapper, his name's KB. And actually this morning he, he said this, and I think this resonates a lot with kind of how a lot of us are feeling. He says, um, how do I know if I have made an idol out of my politics? When you see the war on racism as a battle of the left versus the right instead of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And a lot of us, we've made a lot of our issues right now very political. And it's, well, if I vote this way, or if my mom and dad always voted this way, then I believe this about COVID-19, or I believe this about the racism in our country. And it's that divided that we don't feel like we're battling against the enemy of darkness. We feel like we're battling against one another. So this morning, um, we're going to 
sit down with Jesus a little bit. And that's a metaphor. We're not literally going to do that. But there's a story in, in John chapter 4. And I know a lot of you guys know this story by heart. I know you've heard it preached a thousand ways. And this is going to be a thousand and one maybe for you. But um, I want you guys to ask yourself a serious question. I'm going to re-ask it in a minute. But um, I know we know Jesus. But do we know this Jesus? Because the Jesus we're going to encounter here is not one that makes us very comfortable. Like he's doing something that, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to do. But I have to. So if you guys would, um, I'm going to be in the uh, ESV this morning. And um, this is John chapter 4. We're going to go to verse 1. And um, it reads like this. Now, uh, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, verse 4 is one of those throwaway details that if you're studying this on your own, or maybe in your devotional, you won't really think that's a big deal. You want to get to the real story, but it says these words, he had to go to Samaria. Like, he had to. Now, there's a lot of cultural and just geographical reasons why, man, he did not have to go through Samaria. But Jesus decided to go through Samaria, and we're going to find out why here in a minute. Um, verse 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. This well Jesus is going to sit at. Um, that's where we're going to metaphorically sit this morning. Maybe from the couch you're at or just on your phone when you're doing whatever. But we're going to sit metaphorically by this well. Um, in this story, you don't get to be Jesus. And in this story, you don't get to be the woman. <laughs> you get to just sit and watch this. And just watch it unfold and see how, how would you deal with this situation? And what example is this Jesus setting? Uh, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So you're about to listen to her response. And you're going to hear some pain in her response, maybe. Maybe you're going to hear some cultural norms for, for at that time that's very clear today too in her response in verse 9 is what she says then the Samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a Jew ask for a drink from me a woman from Samaria this parenthesis is key here for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans so Jesus on a weary journey. He's, he's been traveling for a long time. He had to walk way out of his way to get here. He takes his disciples, his boys. Um, history says they're varying ages. Um, it, some people say they were all teenagers. Some people say that, that some of them were in their 20s. Some were teenagers. We don't know. Me as a youth pastor, I've always seen them as just like a goofy youth group a little bit. So he takes his boys and he says, you guys go to the store, buy some food for the journey. I'm going to go here. Now, there may be a lot of reasons why he did that. Um, one reason, I think, the more I read this, like all on my own, when I just, me and the Bible alone, okay, my experience is, 
I don't think he thought they could handle this situation he's about to do. Like, in all honesty, I'm not sure he could handle it. They're young Jewish boys, and just like it says in verse 9, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings together. Guys, that's the Sunday school explanation of it. They had a violent history. Um, they, were, they had been at war for generations and generations, for a lot of political reasons, a lot of racial reasons. And, and so Jews and Samaritans, they did not associate with one another. And his disciples would know this. And they were probably brought up just knowing that, boys, you don't associate with those people. Maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Because you don't associate with this woman at all, that that's what they would be told. So Jesus thought, you know, I'm going to send them ahead. So Jesus, in this situation, is just sitting there when she says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. We don't associate. We're not the same level. I'm less than. Or maybe she even thinks you're less than. Let's read verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, and he's going to reveal who she's talking to here real soon, but he says, if you knew that, you would have asked him for more. The question I'm going to ask you guys again, and we're going to get into some pretty uncomfortable moments here in a minute, <laughs> but do we really know this Jesus who sits by the well? Because we know a lot of Jesus. We know the Jesus that loves to play with little kids. We're all about that Jesus. I think if you believe, if you're a Christian or not, you know the Jesus that loves little kids, right? You know him. You know he's in a field and they bring their fudge sickles and get all over his fancy robe, maybe. Um, you know that Jesus. You know the Jesus that says, don't judge anybody. We love that Jesus. Like, that's our, that's, that's our Jesus. The one that says, hey, don't judge or you're going to be judged. We're all about that Jesus. We know, some of you guys know that Jesus is harsh and calls out sin, which, by the way, that Jesus is about to show up in this story, too. We know all these Jesuses, <laughs> but is this the part of Jesus that you know? Do you know this Jesus? Is this a version of Jesus that we don't know, or is this a version of Jesus that we kind of don't want to know? Like We kind of don't really want to know this Jesus, because if he's going to cross political and cultural boundaries so freely for his mission, does that mean I have to? Like, does that mean that the kingdom of God is bigger than I think it is? Um, this may make you uncomfortable. This may, this may take some of this against your worldview a little bit, because it does mine. But um, It's really going to hit home a little bit. Look at verse 27. We're going to go way towards the end of this story, okay, right here. We're going to go way towards the end. Verse 27 in John chapter 4 says this, Then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So not only are they freaked out that he's talking to a Samaritan, but they're freaked out he's talking to a woman to begin with. They're like, well, Don't talk to a woman. And don't talk to a Samaritan. Um, the word here says marveled. Now, the Greek word is a word that I forget what it was. However, I can tell you um, that in most translations, the Greek word, I mean, the word that they translate into English isn't marveled. The word that they use is stunned. 
So it says, when the disciples saw that he was with her, they were stunned. They were stunned that their teacher would be with someone like this. See, his disciples grew up despising people like this. They were taught that by people that loved them. Um, if you guys know me, I'm, I'm from a uh, really small town that doesn't handle race relations very well. Um, we've had several incidents over the years, and um, uh, my parents, they, they raised me the same way I want to raise my kids, that nobody's different, love people that are different than you. Didn't come natural, but they taught it to me. Um, I, uh, just to be completely honest with you, I had a, had a grandfather on my dad's side that did not believe that way. They taught me that certain people from certain cultures and certain races are just better than others. And I need to know that. And, I, and my parents always push back. No, no, they're not. These young men, you could say they're a product of their race, upbringing, maybe. And you could say, well, why would they be shocked that he would associate with a Samaritan? Because, by the way, she thought so, too. Okay, this is just an understandable thing. But they grew up that way. Here's another detail about this that's interesting. Um, if you've heard this story taught, you probably know this detail really well. He meets her at noon. Now, noon is an interesting detail. Because noon is the time that place should be abandoned. Like, maybe if I were Jesus and I were coming at noon, it would be the introvert in me. <laughs> and I would just come just to make sure no one's there. So I just want to get my drink and head out. But Jesus knew she'd be there. Well, if she's there at noon, that means she's there when no one else is going to come. Because there's two times you would come to a well like this. Um, once, very early in the morning, a lot of women in this region would come together. And they would all draw wells for their families, their husbands, their kids, their own homes, whatever. And they would, they would come in a, in a big group. Or in the evening, when it gets much, much cooler and it's almost dark, they would come. But at noon, when the sun's like its hottest, that's not going to happen. So she was here for a very specific reason. Because she wanted to avoid people. She wasn't the kind of person that people wanted to be around. That's, that's, that's just her life. So she says, you're a Jewish man. Why would you talk to me? Jesus understood something very clear. Um, he understood that we don't have a cultural problem. We, we, we don't have a racial problem. We don't have a political problem. Although those two, all things are symptoms of a greater issue. I would agree with that. We have a gospel problem. That the problem is Jesus came to bring the gospel. Like the clear good news of God. And people just didn't understand it. This young woman does not understand the gospel. And he's going to explain it to her in this story. But he, she didn't understand the gospel. And he understood we have a gospel problem. Um, what is a gospel problem? A gospel problem is... We don't see people the way they actually are. A gospel problem says like this. If you guys don't understand what the gospel is, I think most of you do. It, it goes like this. Um, we are sinners. Or maybe you could say past tense, we were sinners. And by the way, that's everybody. Like your grandma too. Like I know she's nice, but Nana was crazy when she was younger and maybe sometimes now. She's not perfect either. So we were sinners. So Jesus comes from heaven because he is madly in love with each of us. He comes to teach us the way to live. That's the Bible. Then he dies on the cross and pays the penalty for you. And now there's like this thing we call the great exchange. 
where you, Jesus took all of your sin and he handed you his righteousness. And that's the gospel. And if you believe the gospel, you don't see people as less than. You don't see people as not on your level. You see people as worth dying for, worth dying for, worth dying for. Then you look at yourself, worth dying for. We have a gospel problem. We don't understand the gospel anymore. We've, um, we've lost our ability, I think, as a culture. I think we had it at one point, maybe. But we lost our ability in person and online to, to talk to people. And I don't mean like we're just so like, you know, like freaked out to say hello. I mean like we we feel as though we have to debate everything. Everything, as the quote from earlier, becomes a political issue, everything. Like we see it as us versus them. Jesus dealt with this. Jesus' twelve disciples often they would say, even right before he leaves the earth in the book of Acts chapter one, um, they often say, well, when are we going to overthrow the, the Roman government? You know how bad the Roman government is. What are you going to do about the Roman government? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this government and this government? Okay, but should we give taxes to this guy? Well, should we do this? Should we do this? And every time Jesus' answer is loving people, loving God. Like, here's how we'll figure it out. We're going to love people and we're going to love God. So, um, so Jesus handpicks <laughs> 12 disciples through all time, all time, like think about this, all of the different groups of billions on the earth, and he says, well, these are my 12, and one of them betrays him, and a lot of them hide, but they were all raised in a really strange way, and it was really tough for them to see people different than them the same. Um, a really fun homework assignment I have for you guys today, look at Peter and Paul's disagreement in the book of Acts. Peter still didn't want people different than him to have the gospel. He didn't want it. He didn't think they were ready. It took Peter, possibly, some say, decades to fully understand what Jesus is clearly teaching here. So it takes time, but Jesus uses us through our ignorance to do amazing stuff. Um, Jesus shows up at this well that we're kind of metaphorically sitting at to love somebody that has a terrible past, rough present, and is so different from him, from gender to race to everything. But this is how he deals with her. <laughs> um, look at verse 16. So John 4, 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus, in full love, calls her out on her entire lifestyle. Like He didn't beat around the bush, but he kind of made her admit it a little, didn't he? He was, he was like, because like right before this, basically, she wants to talk all this religion stuff, um, you know, and all this stuff about where the Messiah is going to come from. Um, spoiler, at the end of the story, he reveals he is the Messiah. But he, she wants to talk about all this different stuff. And Jesus just gets to the point of her and he says, Hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know. You have five failed marriages. Five failed marriages. And um, you're living with your boyfriend right now. You guys aren't married. He calls her out on that. 
Now, here's the problem with reading, right? We can't read tone. Like if someone texts you something, it could mean a lot of stuff. Like, you know, because you just don't know tone very well. We, we have no idea. Like, um, you know, you could read a text from somebody that says, I'll be over in five minutes. Or it could be, I'll be over in five minutes. Like, it, it, go, it can go two ways. It can go terrifying and, oh, cool, they're going to come over. Like, you ever been in a fight with somebody, and when you read the text, you think they're, they're, they're starting an argument with you. Maybe it's your wife or your husband or whoever, and then you come to find out that's not what they meant at all. When we read the Bible, it's hard to read tone. It really is. That's why guys like me, we kind of just read this over and over again and try to figure out tone. And I think I got this tone figured out. I think Jesus' tone was very loving when he called around her sin. And, and I'm going to give you guys what my evidence is for this. Um, look at verse 28 and 29. This is after the conversation. The conversation ended. But here's what happens. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, I feel if he was very holier than thou, which, by the way, if anyone gets to be holier than thou, it is the one who is holy. But I feel if he was like, I'm up here, you're down here. <laughs> if, if, he was, if he was standoffish, as we say, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't run celebrating that he called her out on her sin. That moment was such a big deal to her. In fact, her words were, come see a man who, uh, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Like she's saying, this must be the Savior because he knows all I ever did. He probably didn't tell her all she ever did. I mean, it doesn't seem like they talked that long. That would take days, right? But yet, she feels like, oh no, he knew all about me. He, he knew me. He, he, he sees me. He sees me and he knows me. And he reveals, by the way, if you look at the text, we're not going to read it, but he reveals he is the Christ to her. Freely. He just lets her know. A lot of times Jesus on his mission was very secret about this, but he's like, hey, I'm the Messiah. But she says, you know, she says that he told me everything I ever did, and, and, and she just loses her mind over it. Maybe it was also relational. Maybe she's like, I finally found someone who knows the whole me, all of it, and still loves me. Because that's the key about God, isn't it? It's, it's that he fully knows me, but he fully loves me. Like, I can't put up a front with God because, um, as it says in Psalm 139, it says that before I speak a word, he knows the thoughts that are going to leave my tongue. <laughs> it says wh where I go, he's already there. God knows everything. He says before I wake up, he knows what my day is going to be like. God fully knows you. Like, he's got the whole package, and he fully loves you. You ever thought about this? God has what's called foreknowledge. It's a theology that says this. God knows the future. He knows your future. What if you knew your future? What if you're married right now, and, you're, and, and, and you just got up, you know, for this, for this uh, live stream, and um, you woke up with the full knowledge that your husband is going to cheat on you in 21 years? when you're old age, wouldn't you slap him? Like, I mean, really, you'd be angry with him for what he's going to do in 21 years. That's God's relationship with you at all times. He knows exactly how you're going to betray him today and 50 years from today. He knows that. 
but he fully knows you and he fully loves you. That's how God relates to us. And that's how she feels. She's like, man, the, the sins I struggle with, he knows them. He knows my exact situation, and yet, he loves me. That's what Jesus is like. This is that Jesus. So he fully knows and fully loves. Let's ask you this, church. Uh, once we start in-person gatherings, which we're going to find out about those here in a minute, by the way. Be excited. Um, <laughs> what if this woman came into church and you knew her reputation? She walks in, and then we're supposed to greet her and get to know her because we're the church, right? Is five failed marriages, is that like the limit? Is that the limit to accept somebody? Like two failed marriages, you're like, stuff happens. Three failed marriages, you're like, you need to pick better. Five? And then she walks in with her live-in boyfriend? How are we going to react to that? Not only maybe does she look different than you, maybe, maybe she sees the government different than you, but she's got that kind of past, and yet, it's not just a past, it's a present. How are you going to greet her? Are you going to be like this Jesus who's next to this well? There's something important about this being a gospel problem to understand the gospel. Is this, um, Christianity is about a position, not a performance. Meaning, you get to be in Christ. But what you do, <laughs> what you do, doesn't get to, that's not why God loves you. You don't get to earn that. And by the way, those of you who struggle with anxiety, depression, you don't get to earn God's hatred either. It's a position of your son and you are daughter now. Here's the question. Um, why does God love you? Here's the answer. Because of God. 1 John 4.19 says this. John writes this. He says, we love because he first loved us. Why does he love us? <laughs> because he's God. That means my performance can't earn it and can't lose it. Um, as a dad, when my, my girls, because my girls are older, when they have a really bad day, and it's just like someone, you know, it was like a bully thing at school, or maybe it was gossip at school, or maybe they got a bad grade and they thought, hey, I should have done better, <laughs> you know. Um, the thing I just always feel like God wants me to tell them, because I feel like this is how God relates to them, is I just say, honey, you know there's nothing you're going to do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you're going to do to make me love you less. You're my daughter. Nothing changes that. That's the moment that, like, I feel, like, as a dad, and I don't have a good read on this, but I feel like that's the moment where they just connect and they just understand that they, my, my parents want what's best for me, but that doesn't take my position away is, is the, the, the daughter. That's how God relates to you. It's not about that. So where does this put us into? Like, how do we do this going forward in this terrible climate we're at? Because you're probably like, okay, that's what God's like. What am I like? And it's a valid question if you're wondering it. Um, I wrote down a few things. By the way, these things are not in the Bible. Uh, these are just a few things that I've researched and just ideas. Because we are online right now. You're watching this on either YouTube or Facebook. So how do we relate to people as we're online? So let's take a small little stop in the road here. And I'm just going to give you four things to consider before you post something online. And by the way, all four of these are things I have to ask myself or else I'm a terrible person when I get on Facebook. So <laughs> um, 
Here's the first question I want you to ask before you post something online. Okay, first one. What is the gospel best case scenario for what I'm about to do? You ever been in that situation where like, um, you Bedford folks, you know, Bedford Unleashed, you know that place? Oh my gosh, right? Um, and you see someone say something that's like, who are your parents? Why are you saying that? What's the best case gospel scenario for what you're about to reply with? Or maybe something gets you really upset, because man, this COVID-19 thing, dude, like, I mean, not just the tragedy of the disease, but the way it's been handled, right? I mean, we all have opinions on that. And um, what's the best gospel to teach people the gospel, what's the best case scenario for what I'm about to do? That's the first question um, I ask myself. Uh, the second one, who will this hurt? Because you're a representative of Jesus. So what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, who is this going to hurt? And what I'm about to say to somebody. Like, it, by the way, it may be okay to hurt people sometimes. It, it could be. I mean, because like Jesus says something very hurtful to this woman that calls her to turn her life around. So maybe there will be times where that's okay. But the question is, who could it hurt? Like, who's basically going to get caught in the crossfire of my rant? Um, third one, Facebook folks, you need, to, you need to get better about this. Is this true? Like, do you have a worldview and an idea where you're like, this is right and I'm going to let people know it's right. And then you find some random websites and you find some random thing that fits your worldview to crush the person you're going against. But did you check and see if what you just said was true? Guys, we are Christians. We, we are, we are we're truth tellers. Um, it says this in the New Testament, right? It says that, all truth is God's truth. Are you spreading truth? Is what you're saying true? Because if that's not true, can you still talk to someone about the truth about, about Christ? Can you still do that? Um, last one, and I think this is a question we all need to ask. Can Jesus be glorified through what I'm doing online right now? Um, now, why do I bring these things up, guys? Because we have a big divide. We have a huge divide right now. It, and it's, it feels like it's growing every day. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. And we are supposed to be a kingdom that's united under a king. And we are a warring kingdom all the time. And we just have different takes on everything. And it just becomes... The, and by the way, it's not just online. It's in person. I mean, I get that. I get that. But it's gotten out of hand, and I think God is raising up a kingdom of kingdom workers, as we say, that's going to say, no, enough of that. We're just going to spread God's truth. We're going to spread the gospel all we can. My opinion is not over God's opinion. Um, one last verse for you guys, and then I'm going to be done for the morning. Um, this is Romans chapter 8. Paul writes this, and if you, if you really want to understand, like, if God loves me, read Romans chapter 8 slowly and out loud until you fully get that God is so recklessly, madly in love with you. It's absolutely absurd how much Romans 8 tells you God loves you. Like, it's in a way I would never, ever love anybody. God loves you. And he starts this amazing chapter of Scripture, which is this verse. It's the only verse I'm going to read, and it's about your position in Christ. And it says this, Romans 8, 1, Therefore, or sorry, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, man, if you're in Christ, you have no condemnation. 
you have none. I think maybe that's the, I think maybe what Paul understands about God is what the woman at the well began to understand about God. That if I'm, if he's the Messiah and, and, and I follow him, I have no condemnation now. I have none. So who gets no condemnation? Everyone in Christ. Does that change the way we act? Yes. You see, everybody, um, the gospel is not just for non-Christians. The gospel is a daily thing Christians need. Because if you understand the gospel, you're going to see that I may be different, I may be this, I may be that, but I am worth dying for, and she's worth dying for. And they are in Christ, and, and God says, I don't condemn you, so why do I get to? I thank you guys so much for um, joining us this morning. Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll hear something special from Craig. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for just being a gracious, good God. Um, Lord, we have barely anything figured out apart from you. <laughs> uh, maybe, Lord, what you're teaching me is that every time I try to have joy apart from you, I'm just, I'm not going to succeed. Um, every time I try to get it from <laughs> entertainment, every time I try to get it from how clever I think I am, I don't have joy, but you are the source of joy. I pray for everybody that um, is a part of this church and a part of the stream right now that we can truly know the real you, Lord. Even the Jesus that we don't, we, we're not comfortable with knowing, we have to find out who that is and how do we live like him. We thank you, Lord. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.